Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast, Prehistoric Treasure Found. I'm Maurice O'Keefe and this week's podcast visits archaeological sites around the country where national treasure has come to light in recent years. And it was indeed a pleasure for us at Irish Life and Lore to record these amazing events and to witness this wonderful heritage being discovered, once hidden, out of sight, for many thousands of years by our our bogs. And I first visited uh, Castletown Bear to meet archaeologist, the late Connie Murphy. And he really sets the scene for this week's podcast. And we travel into a valley overlooking Castletown Bear where he points out a Bronze Age village and field system, again, which was once hidden for thousands of years by bog. Now, as we're walking down this hillside here into the valley, we're into the area where the turf has been removed. And there in front of us, we can see all those lines of stones. They're collapsed field walls. Uh, that were revealed when the uh, people cut the turf in the bogs here. So they were the field systems then, were they? They were the field system that existed before the bog began to grow. In other words, going away back into time. And when these fields were abandoned at some stage and the bog grew up, it covered them and they were totally hidden from view. And then they were revealed again in recent times as the turf was cut away. What we're looking at today is largely a Bronze Age landscape because of the tombs, Fulloch-Thi and hut sites and the walls of the fields that we see here. Mm-hmm. Now, in a minute, we're going to come across something from a totally different era showing that this valley was in use and is still in use. We can see the sheep grazing uh, peacefully here today, this lovely day. And uh, it, it has been in use right through those thousands of years. But the people of that particular era left more behind for us to see than any of the others in the line of their monuments and walls and cooking places. Now down there we can see another of those hut sites and you get little clusters of them all over the all place over, here. All over, don't you? Yes. All over the valley. Yes, so it was, pretty, it was populated uh, going back all those 
yeah. quite a number of families living here. Now, here's a little area now where the bark isn't covered. And here... Wh- oh, the stone, the stone wall again. And there, yeah, just the tops yes. of the stones. Just, yes. just sticking up above it, look. <laughs> yes. Just in front of us, do you see those two stones here? There's a bit of a stone wall left there, quite a substantial wall. And here are two stones through it, defining the entrance. So we'll, we can walk in here, and now we're within a big circle, a much larger circle. And if we look at the wall here, it's perhaps almost two metres wide. Now, on the inside, there's a row of stone slabs upright, set against each other. And on the outside, we have a similar row. Some of them are a bit collapsed. Stone slabs again. And in between, then, there's a fill of smaller stones and earth. It's all covered with grass now. And we can see it's part of a circle. A wall that goes right around here. And this was the entrance into this. So, this obviously was a significant site. And do you see, it's high up and it's overlooking the valley, isn't it? It's looking down here. It's looking back down over all the area that we walked, looking right out over the harbour, down over Castletown, right out the bay. And the system ends more or less up where we are here, perhaps a little further. And it extended way down there. So this must have been a very significant site. Maybe uh, a large hut site, maybe a ritual site because all around it here there are some more of those type which we would as they say they have a bronze age feel with this fill in between and these large stone slabs set on the inside and on the outside and we pick them up again over here as we we continue walking up the hill uh, we're almost at the top and there's one more site at the very top uh, oh yes, yeah. there is another uh, ring here again. Yeah, another hot site. And, and this, this is attached uh, quite close to the one that we've just come out of. It, ha- it is, yeah. it is. Now all this remains to be investigated in years ahead. I mean, we, we're, we're, we, we can see so much on the surface, but we can't be definitive about the age of the period. But what evidence we have, uh, like the Follock Fia and the Wedge Tomb we're going to visit now just up here, suggests to us that these are all in the, that period, this type now, uh, and especially the, the walls that are coming out of the bog, and that this perhaps uh, could be, if we could call it that, where the elder or the chief or whoever would have been uh, the head of this community up in this valley. Moving from Castleton Bear on the Bear Peninsula to the foothills of Schlievmish, and to the valley of where Queen Scotia's grave is, on the outskirts of Tralee. And that's where I met archaeologist Lara Dunn, who brought me to the location where a prehistoric arrowhead was recently found. Okay, um, we're going to move along here now and continue looking at our earliest part of our prehistory for Kerry. And... um, up to Sco- a Scotia's Glen, or Foley's Glen is most locally known as, and it's literally an ancient route bay over the uh, spine of the Dingle Peninsula, south to South Kerry, over to Carrasavine, that direction. Now we have reached Foley's Glen, and we're walking down the pathway here towards uh, Queen Scotia's grave. Uh, tell me, we're just, we've come out of the Stone Age now, and we're, we're very much in the Bronze Age. 
Well, yeah, we're, I suppose we're at the, at the, at the a period of change between one and the other. Um, it, it, and this is uh, identified simply by uh, a single artefact that has been an accidental find. It, didn't, it wasn't sort of um, found due to excavation, that. Simply a little simple arrowhead that was found at the crossing of the river, the fording point of the river, uh, a couple of years ago. I don't think it's any great matter whether you can prove it or not. I think it's better left to mystery and a story. And myths are better left as myths, I thought. But archaeologists, as a rule, are only interested in the evidence and uh, nothing, nothing else is... Uh... Well, archaeologists are often sort of accused of sort of only dealing with empirical evidence and stuff like that. Uh, and the fact is that uh, um, that's not always the case. The reality is that we do produce evidence of events that took place through time. And sometimes they don't sort of always marry in with our perceived mythological stories or historical stories of it. But that's okay too. Um, reality here is that we have a lovely story of one of the invasions of the population, or the Milesian invasion, in which uh, um, these um, people arrived allegedly from Spain and were um, invading the local people at the time were the two of the Danon. And uh, a large battle took place in this valley in which the Queen of the Milesians, Scotia, was killed. Apparently when she was trying to leap the valley, which would be some feat in itself considering it's about 300 feet wide. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This arrowhead, you have it here yeah. in your hand. I, I, let's get a look at that. My it, goodness. It's a stone flint arrowhead. Hollow based with the point, the very cutting point at the top is actually broken. So it's an arrow that has been fired, missed, obviously, or maybe it did hit, and that's an impact point. So it is a lovely piece of flint, it's well, well made, retouched along its edges, and it's, a, it's, an, it's an exotic piece, really, and very rare for Kerry. Prior to finding this arrowhead, we only have one recorded um, in the last hundreds of years for Tralee area alone. So, in actual fact, since we started this work in the Tralee Valley, we now have four and a half other ones. The half one being a broken one from, from Clowers I didn't mention earlier on. So, th- that's all we have, four. Yeah. Four are ahead. That's right. So, th- <laughs> so, date this one now for me. Well, I suppose what we're looking at here is the, uh, is the end of the Neolithic Early Bronze Age. So, we're talking about um, four and a half thousand, five thousand years ago. Okay. And we're ha- and we're halfway towards from the road here to Queen Scotia's gra- uh, grave. Uh, was it close to here that that arrowhead was found? It, it is literally as we're going to cross over the stream here now, where's the fording point, and on the far side it was found literally at the edge of the stream. It's amazing because it's not water rolled, so it didn't wash down the river because all of the edges would have been abraded. It's a lovely, sharp, fresh piece. And um, so it came out of some archaeological context somewhere, and um, we don't know exactly where um, it originated, but we're not far off it. We were within a couple of metres of it. Funnily enough, it's only 20 metres downstream from Scotia's grave. So if we like, maybe this was the arrowhead that killed Queen Scotia as she was trying to leave the valley, and maybe that just adds to the story of that. We're just at the side of the river here now, or a stream, lovely. And it's not a metre, metre and a half from the edge of the stream. And it was just literally eroded out. And it's old fording point here of the stream. So maybe it was lost um, while someone was fording it. I know in the past, uh, in even modern times, 
people were always attacked crossing the river because that was your most vulnerable time, you know. So fording points are extremely important as archaeological sites or potential archaeological sites because that's where people lost stuff accidentally and were attacked because it was an ideal opportunity to, um, to take avail of, you know. So yeah, it is just on the shore or on the side of the stream that um, Fiuk and uh, Cleena Murphy found this artefact about three, three, three and a half years ago. It was a fantastic find. Uh, it's really, amazing, course, yeah. incredible, yeah. because it's not something that stands out in terms of colour and all that. It blends quite uh, easily into the local uh, sort of subsoil and that, so it's great to have it. So it'll be on display shortly, we hope, in the museum in Tralee, along with any other stuff from the area. I'm here in Ballycane Bog, and we're just... Uh, we're quite close to Danging, and I'm talking to Jane Whitaker. Jane, archaeologist, uh, here working on a very, very interesting dig. So I want you to tell me exactly, uh, if you could let us know exactly where we are and what, what is happening here in the bog. Okay. We're in the Bordemona bog of Ballycane, which, as you said, is just south of Dangan. Uh, it's one of Bordemona's production bogs in the Derry Greena area. Um, the bog is used to provide mill peat for the uh, power station. Um, what's happening here at the moment is we're working on an excavation of a very unusual site that was discovered in 2004 uh, by archaeologists while field walking the bog on behalf of the Archaeological Survey of Ireland, which is part of the Department of the Environment um, Local Heritage. Um, this site is um, a large possible habitation site. It's 22 metres in diameter, um, surrounded by a palisade post and an internal house structure. What makes this site mm. so unique is that it's essentially a Cranogue-style building um, built in a bog environment. Uh, Cranogues, as you know, are more usually found in lakes and on lake shores, whereas this structure is a site that has been built on a bog and in a bog. Uh, exactly. How far back in time uh, are we going? Well, this site is dated to between six and 700 AD, so we're talking early Christian period. And... So far, how much of this uh, site have you uncovered? We had one field season uh, about 18 months ago where we started the excavation. Um, When the site was initially found, it was thought that it was only the last ephemeral remains of the site. But we've discovered after our first field season that there was considerably more archaeology in situ. Um, So we're now out for our second season um, to complete the excavation. Mm -hmm. How was this found? It was found by field walking. Um, The bogs are essentially walked um, by taking every second drain, scanning the drains' faces and the field surfaces for any archaeological remains. Now, the archaeology in the bogs is generally wooden structures um, in the form of trackways, routeways across the bog and smaller platform sites which we believe may have provided cover and shelter while hunting wildfowl out in the bogs. Now, uh, uh, Borden and Mona, uh, who are presently working on this bog, mm-hmm. uh, you know, were they aware of this site here? No, they weren't. The site was discovered um, by archaeologists walking along the field surface. Um, it was only visible as um, a few small wooden remains and a small spread of uh, blue plastic clay, which turned out to be uh, the hearth structure at the centre of the the, the main building. Um, A lot of the archaeology is only discovered while field walking because you're closer to it, you're walking along the drain edges and looking on the field surfaces for the the archaeology. So it's a, a scientific, methodological approach to actually looking for the archaeology. 
And when something like this happens, how uh, accommodating uh, would Borden and Mona be? Board Mona are great, I have to say. Um, we have a good working relationship with Board Mona. We've been consultant archaeologists to Board Mona since 1999 and have carried out over 200 excavations and very uh, large number of field surveys on their behalf. Um, Board Mona have an agreement with the uh, Department of the Environment under the National Monuments legislation to protect and to record the archaeology that's in their property. Well, I, I know that this particular uh, site here uh, is, is very exciting and, and uh, it's, it's, it's marvellous work. But how, how many of these archaeological sites are found in bogs in Ireland? There are about 3,500 uh, recorded uh, trackway sites, which are small, and they vary in size from small little brushwood structures providing local access from one point to another within the bog system to large substantial routeways or roadways. Now, they are less numerous than the, the smaller sites. Uh, a site like this one here in Ballycane is particularly unique. Um, this site, at the moment, there is nothing that compares to this site either in Ireland or anywhere else in Europe. Now, put this site in context, Uh, you know, uh, rolling back all those years, uh, what was the place like and what else was around here at that time? Well, at the moment, the landscape looks quite different to what it would back in the early Christian period. I mean, you're looking at an artificial surface here, which is um, an industrial uh, environment. But back in the early Christian period, this would have been an area of open wet woodland. It would have been a live ecosystem. Um, It would a raised bog scenario. Um, So this structure would have had um, areas of open water, areas of raised hummocks, um, small local shrubland. Um, So it would look drastically different to to what it does now. So Jane, what exactly is happening here now? Well, if we go down and have a closer look where Garrett is working, I can show you the outer palisade uh, being uncovered at the moment. Okay. Try not to fall on her face. Oh, it's all so soft and and mucky. Yeah. Oops. Ooh. (laughs) Right. Okay, well, what you can see here are the outer palisade posts. Um, what we don't know is the original height above ground of these posts because the, the milling procedure has taken away the, the upper levels of the posts. What we do know is that in places around the outside, some of these posts are still over two metres in length. So they're considerably um, long, regular posts that were driven into the ground to provide a stockade around the outside of this structure. Um, This is Gareth Sheehan, uh, who has worked with ADS for um, over 11 years now. Um, Gareth is working on the Palisade, um, where you can see that the excavation um, is being done by hand. Um, Ordinarily, archaeologists will use trowels or or leaf trowels um, or other implements to clean. But in this particular case, um, those can actually damage the wood uh, because it's quite soft. So this process is very, very slow and tedious. And uh, everything, as, you, as I said earlier, is being removed by hand here. Mm-hmm. So, so what Garrett is yeah. doing here at the moment is painstakingly slow, as you can see. Um, the peat is all removed by hand um, using just fingers. In, at times we will use a trowel, um, but that, will, that can have a detrimental effect to the wood. It will chip away at the wood and you won't have the same level of preservation as, as you can see here now at the moment. So, Garrett, uh, this, this requires a lot of patience. It does require patience, yeah, yeah. And also, um, you know, you shouldn't mind getting too dirty either. Like, you know, <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Dublin. And uh, what, how 
interesting is this particular site that you're working on? I think it's a fascinating site because I think it's it's pretty unique. Um, like we have a section of Palisade here with upstanding wattle running around the outside of it and sort of woven in between the posts and you're probably never going to see that on another site again. It's, it's a very rare sort of occurrence to have it preserved this well. Can you describe so the, the, the kind of flooring uh, that's in this in this building? Okay, well, internally there's a mixture of just what would have been um, the natural ground surface, which we can see in parts of the site, and then in other areas where the site was wetter, there was a considerable dump of of wood used, particularly on the eastern side of the site. In the main house structure itself, the central floor was made from large roundwoods, which we believe are ash, and they will be species identified later. You've worked on many uh, sites around the country. How would you compare the site with other ones you worked on? Well, I would say, I mean, I've worked on an awful lot of sites, dry land sites of various different phases. Um, this requires a lot more delicacy, I think, um, as Jane was saying there about uh, sort of working around the timbers there. You know, you have to be very, very careful and not to damage them. But I think it's a very exciting site. It's, it's pretty unique compared to, you know, most of the sites I've worked on where you actually have upstanding sections of palisade and wattle, you know, that's, um, that's something you're probably not going to see on many, many sites. Our final destination is to a bog in North Kerry, where a bog brooch was found by pure chance. This amazing story starts at the location where the turf from the bog was extracted that contained a prehistoric brooch. I'm talking to Joe Deegan. Mm-hmm. Here in the middle of a bog, Joe, up in North Kerry. What's the name of the town's land? Hanagran. And could you just describe to me exactly where we are? Well, it's uh, two miles uh, out of Bellanford, out of Bellanford on the Bellyburnham Road, on the main Bellyburnham Road. And you live out this way? I do, yes. Yeah, I do. I've been last 54 years. Oh, have you? Yes, yes. I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Cutting turf, Joe, in, in, in a bog like this, um, sw- very wet, very swampy. Oh, it's as easy as we can get the turf out of the place, you know, so it's just, just um, so bad, you know. And worst every year is getting. Mm-hmm. But the rainy season comes in too early. And, and the, the the system of cutting turf now is, is miles away from what, what, what we were all used to, oh, the slawn. Yes, the <laughs> slawn, yes, right. Yeah, and we found them all, and all my uncles got it dead the house until the machine came in and that's it. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bit, yeah, so it is. So we're looking at a patch, patch of bog here that you cut <coughs> out recently. And, and uh, is this work that you would do... Um, for for the local farmers? Oh God, no! She's I only do for my uncle, my uncle and my first cousin. That's it. I know my, my, my own house. Like, you know, that's it. Yeah. I would not. No, no, God, no, no. Like I work usually in Kerry Copter Stall. So, no. So uh, you're really doing it as a favour, then? Oh, just on you. Just on you. Just on you. And I love the bogging here because it gets fine weather. It's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. yeah. So cut, cutting cutting through this this bog, had you any idea what? <laughs> what you were thinking Never of. in my wildest dreams. <laughs> Honest to God, yeah. Never, no, never into my head at all. So we wouldn't know at all we get out of the fire, you know? Yeah. So, no, no. When you, when you, when you heard about this story, what did you think? They said, no, I think because I didn't know it was true or false, you know? And then they see the brush then, and it says, no, we got to say, I wish to have uh, done something right for a change. <laughs> 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 yeah. So. It was an extraordinary story, isn't it? It, it is. So, actually, so yeah. you, would have, you would have cut the turf and you would have. Uh, turned it? You would have turned it. For, and yeah. put it in and bought it home. 
and Joe Deegan delivered the cart of turf to his uncle, Padjo Edgeward. And to find out exactly what happened, I called to the Edgeward home. Uh, I'm in the home of the Padjo Edgeward and, yes, and, Sheila. and Sheila. Sheila, Listen, Sheila, you're the one responsible for finding this. Yes. So, um, but Padjo, can you tell me first, um, you get your turf cut every year. And we bring in... Uh, so much within a bucket of it or two buckets of it for the night. And uh, Sheila puts it in then to the fire in the morning. She, she takes out the ashes first. Uh, when the ashes is cold, you see, in the morning, you get up after eating the breakfast. She takes out the cold ashes. And so when she was taking out the ashes, that she found this thing in the great part of it. And when she investigated, that's what came out. What happened when I get up in the morning? I usually, before I have the breakfast, after breakfast, I take out the ashes to put on the fire. And, I, and they, here in this part of it here, you get it here, you see, and you have to shake this part of it up here, see what I mean? It was shaking this. Get the loan on it. was shaking that like that, look. And the pint of the rose came down through the, this part of it up here. It came down through that. And it was... What happened there was was coming down to that and I said to him I said there is something wrong and because I couldn't shake it then you see and I said there was something definitely something wrong and the next thing I took out the ashes anyway and the next thing I found this thing inside in it and I was stuck as I told you as I say it was stuck in that thing so the next thing I took it out and uh, I seen this. Did you realise what you had? I didn't realise it. I said to myself, what is it? I thought it was something, some kind of a brooch, all right, like I wasn't sure, like, you know. But I said to Pacho here, my husband, I said, what is that? But he said it was something like a brooch, you know. But I didn't rightly know what was, what was happening, like, really, be quite honest with you. So I said I took it out of him, and I said to myself, what's going on? Here? And this all happened on, on, on your Stanley, Stanley 9, yeah, is Yeah, Stanley, Stanley, um, yeah, Stanley, yeah. Stanley 8. Yes. Stanley 8, right? So uh, what did you think yourself, John Joe? I thought, this, this uh, I thought it was a piece of a donkey's moat bit. <laughs> <laughs> if we know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, because when I saw the ring and the other bit out of it, it reminded me of first like when I took it. It was a piece of a donkey's mouth bit. I have, I ha, I always kept a donkey here, like, yeah. and uh, I have, I have some of the bits all the time, like the old bits. Not long after this amazing discovery, local archaeologist Larry Dunn came out to North Kerry to visit the location where this brooch was found. Yes. North Kerry has been fantastic for recording of artifacts more so than any other part of the county. Why is that? Because the, uh, the amount of bog cutting that has been going on here, uh, systematically down the years, has given you a greater opportunity to examine stuff. And the area is large tracts of bog within areas of rich land. And the amount of people accessing it here down through time have always been accessing the bog and bogs are not only areas where things get lost but where things get deliberately deposited so you could have votive offerings in the bog or in the river I mean the Shannon itself alone is one of the major receptacles for votive offerings in the past hundreds and hundreds of artefacts deliberately thrown into the bog deliberately buried in the river deliberately thrown in the river thrown in the lake 
thrown in the bark uh, as offerings and all sorts of other religious reasons or ritual purposes. What's the significance of this find? Well, the significance uh, from a fine level alone is a wonderful science story of recovery um, by Sheila Edgeworth and, you know, and, and the whole story of its, of its found in the first place. But as regards an artefact itself, it's quite uh, rare that these uh, penannular brooches from the 6th, 7th century AD are found in a complete form in Kerry and have survived the 1,500 years or however long it's been in the bag and then uh, an event have been burnt as, as, as a solid turf in, in, a, in a house in North Kerry. It's a fantastic story. But as an artefact itself, they're quite rare, they're quite beautiful. Hasn't been properly looked at yet, but it's got a, a, you know, a lovely uh, uh, um, uh, design pattern of a, of a, of a uh, it looks like a motif of an early form of, of, of rock, of, um, sorry, of uh, cross form, uh, and with a little tenon on it. But it needs to be clearly looked at in a more controlled environment because I've only looked at it now for two minutes. Like. How old is this? The artefact, they generally come into a bracket. It's a penannular brooch that's used to hold a cloak. It would have been owned and commissioned probably by a well-to-do person. It is not an ordinary single pin. It is a, well, is, 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 is a piece of, of a brooch owned by someone with, with, with some level of wealth. And the pin, you would grab up your, your cloak in kind of a bunch. You'd slip the, the, the actual uh, pin section of it to it. And then you'd swivel the, the ring around and it engages into a little clump. And it was a standard uh, brooch of the period, and they have come in the most fabulous forms. Uh, and sometimes you have a little inset of a millefiori glass or enamel, red enamel, as well as inside the design pattern. Uh, what? How old is this? Uh, they generally come into a, a dating bracket of around the sixth or seventh century AD. So that's five hundred and something to seven hundred and six hundred something, something like that. What's the possibility of this this being just lost in the bog, or, or do you think it's part of a, of a larger hoard? Well, the possibilities are that a it was lost in the bog, b is that it was actually on someone's cloak that was lost in the bog, or b it was entirely part of a person who's still in the bog. <laughs> I kind of like to go for the latter myself. It has more sort of a, a, a sense of uh, possibilities with it. All right, but we're. We're here in, in um, uh, I suppose, a huge bog. If you look across the, the landscape there, it's massive. And you were saying that everybody has their own patch here and they're all working their own patch. But, Laura, I mean, is, is, is the place itself significant and, and the place name? What does it mean? Um, I've just had a general glance, glance at the name and it's, uh, it's Owen Ockenogion. And are the crown actually? So it's the river uh, of possibly of the the fording of the river of the trees. But I'd have to sort of look at that closely. I haven't only seen the first name for about five minutes ago. But certainly, the, the whole place was probably once a very much a, a tree filled landscape. And as is evidenced by the by the by the, the cuttings in the bog, where you can see thousands and thousands of stumps of trees everywhere as we walked across. And here in the cutting, there's plenty of of, of bog oak and bog deal uh, and and some other species as well, because uh, um, that I'm not too sure of. So you have once here an area probably of a much forested area that is now that its its demise caused the creation of the bog. You know. Yeah. So we are looking at a completely different probably environment to when was the, when when the actual uh, piece may have been deposited. Or 
it may have been in a different growing stage at that time as well. So you might have had more trees and less area of bogs, or as the bogs form, they're in different sort of stages. They can be quite treacherous areas. But the bogs have been a great repository for artefacts in the past, all over North Kerry. Kil- Kilmiley uh, uh, is a wonderful place for finding artefacts, and has also been uh, in North Kerry in general, you know. We've come to the end of this week's podcast, Prehistoric Treasure Found. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interviews taken from our Irish Life and Lore archive. And you can listen to the full interviews if you visit our website. That's www.irishlifeandlore.com. And in the future, I will create more podcasts on Treasure Found. My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.